Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I am excited to be with you as we close out the 10th chapter of the Book of Romans today. Um, this, is a, this, is a, this is a good one. Um, there's a lot of um, practical content in Romans 10, and it kind of serves as that transition between Romans 9 and Romans 11, and kind of bridging those two themes. And so I'm excited to dive into this text. Um, throughout Romans 10, Paul has been demonstrating the paradoxical way that God's saving grace is both selective and universal. That is, that it is both for all and for some. This portion that we're going to be digging into today now explains to us the way that God's election is demonstrated and the way it is revealed through his sovereignty in preaching and evangelism. So without further ado, let us pick up in verse 10. So starting with verse 10, it says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. We read last week in verse 9 that all who confess that Jesus is Lord will be saved. And now Paul explains how this can be so. So with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We're not saved by a magical prayer or a recitation. Um, we often like to focus on getting, when we evangelize, we have this tendency to focus on getting the person we're um, sharing the gospel with to repeat a prayer that um, gives us some assurance of what's going on in their heart. And we place... A whole lot of weight on that but there's there's not really a scriptural basis for the sinner's prayer being this um, infallible way to get people in the kingdom of God it's not a magic spell it's not something we recite that gets us into the kingdom of God what happens is we place our implicit trust in God it matters not how we say it it's what we say it's what's going on in here because it is the heart that believes and is justified. We're justified by the content of our heart. And the word of our mouth is just confirmation. Verse 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if it isn't about 
the words. If it's just about the heart, then lineage doesn't matter. If we all receive the same Christ, and we have the same Lord, and we are indwelled with the same Spirit, then the Jew-Gentile debacle is rendered pointless. It says in 1 Samuel, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not, as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And I quote the King James there because of that word countenance. And countenance is, um, we often translate that as meaning face. Look not on his face. But countenance is more about your physical presence as a whole. Your physical essence, I guess you could say. God doesn't look at that. He doesn't look at all the physical characteristics and make a decision. He goes solely off of the content of the heart. This is where it matters. It's about the heart. It's not the person. Psalm 147 says, He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. So again, it's it's about the it's about the inside of the heart. That is what matters. It's the content of the heart. And Jesus himself said, For from the heart comes wickedness, comes sin. All the things that defile a person come from the heart. But eating with unwashed hands will not defile you. Because it's not from the hands that we sin, it's from the heart that we sin. It's not from the hands that we are justified before God. It is from the heart that we are justified before God. Joel chapter 2 tells us, Therefore now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. So Joel says to turn to God with all your heart. And when we turn to God with all our heart, it spills out into our actions. So with fasting and weeping and mourning. But we rend to God our heart and not just our garments, not the outward adornments of ourselves, but the innermost parts of ourselves. It's about the heart. Sinclair Ferguson once said that the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, we like to focus on the doctrinal teachings of the Reformation. But he argued that the Reformation was not a reformation of the mind, but of the heart. As John Calvin once famously said, I offer my heart to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. We render our hearts to God, not just our intellect. God is not a seminary professor. Our academic performance does not contribute to our salvation. And we so often make theology a job for the academics, for the smart people. But to know God is the task of every Christian on earth. It's not an intellectual rudiment. C.S. Lewis once said that one effective way to silence the voice of conscience, which is to say the mind, is to impound in an ism the teacher through whom it speaks. The quickest way to stop people from thinking 
is for a teaching to die the death of a thousand isms. For example, Calvinism. We like to put that in a separate box and say those teachings are Calvinist te teachings and they have no precedence over anything else. But it's not... A, it didn't start with Calvin. B, we're not students of Calvin. We're students of Christ. And so it's never a, it was never about the teachings alone. It was never about bolstering our minds. Because Christ came... Not for the righteous, but for sinners. And if we only have a mental understanding of that, if we only understand the things of God with our intellect, with our minds, if it's purely intellectual, we miss that. Verse 14, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How does God enact this gathering of his elect? How does he bring the elect out of the world and into himself? Through the ministry of the word. The centerpiece of this process of how the people of God come, become the people of God, of how we come into the family of God, is through God. He draws people through his word. And that is why the preaching ministry was so essential to the apostles in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6, um, the early church is having some growing pains, and they need additional workers in the church. And this is actually the origin of what we know as elders or deacons. That um, additional men to serve in the church to help with the discipleship aspects so that the apostles could focus on preaching. And so in Acts chapter 6, it says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye amount among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we, we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Um, Jesus describes the mission of the church in Matthew 24, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with glory and power. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We often take that passage and we attribute that to the end times. But I think we're missing the, the context a little bit. You see, Jesus is describing things that the prophets warned of. The prophets spoke much about the sun being darkened when nations would come under the judgment of God. When 
your time goes dark, when the sun goes down on your age. And so I believe that Jesus is referring to the end of a Jewish age, of, of that Old Testament Israel as a world superpower. And we'll get into this a little more as we go. But the Jews missed the point of what Christ came to do. They missed the point of the Messiah. And therefore, God has brought judgment on the Jews. Because the gospel was not just for the Jews. It was for everyone. But the Jews wanted to maintain that internal focus. It's just about us. And so the, the sun has gone down on Israel the nation. And the sun has come up on Israel, the spiritual Israel. That includes people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he sends out his angels to gather his elect. And angels, often we understand angels to be about um, angels. But that word angel actually is where we get the word evangelism. The Greek word that appears there means messenger. Evangelion. And his angels shall go and gather his elect. It's like the, the parable of the fishnet. That he gathers all of the fish. And again, it says the angels shall gather the fish. God's messengers shall gather his elect. God calls his people from among the goats through the ministry of his word. Through the people he sends out to preach the word. Because the thing that makes them effective is his word. It says in Isaiah 40, a voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all his beauty is like the flower of the field. The, glass, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our Lord will stand forever. We are grass. We are temporary. But God breathes on us with his word, which lasts forever. Through his word, he puts himself in us and makes us new. Verse 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So then... Not everyone believed the word of God, because the word is spiritual first, and academic second. Without the spirit, we cannot discern the things of God, that there is more to it than just head knowledge. Verse 18, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for the voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I shall make you angry. Then Isaiah is as bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Faith comes by hearing. But the Jews heard and did not have faith. They did not believe. They had every opportunity. They were given the patriarchs. They were given the law. They were given the priests and the judges, the kings, the prophets, and much, much more. Yet they still missed the point. 
of all those things, because the salvific power was not in the possession of the things, but in the right perception of what those things pointed to. The question was not whether the promises were in their scriptures, but whether or not the promises were in their Messiah. Hebrews chapter 4 sheds some light on this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should have should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, meaning the Jews. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken at the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. In short, they knew of God rather than knowing God. God was around them but not in them. There was no internalization of who God is that it altered their thought and being. They had completely missed the point. God promised rest to the Israelites. But because of sin, they didn't enter the promised land, which was, they thought, their rest. But it was a parable of a future rest, the rest that we all come to through Christ. We who believe in Jesus enter that rest, that eternity is like the promised land. And we will rest with him. But the Jews did not enter the promised land because of sin. They would not submit to God because it was all head knowledge. And one of the challenges when we make the Bible about head knowledge, when we know of God rather than know God, is sin. Because if it's all in here, what do we do with Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God, for my sin is ever before me. What do we do with Isaiah 64, 5, woe is me, for I am ruined. These are not the kinds of things you would cross-stitch on a pillow. These are not feel-good statements. They are hard statements. They are hard texts to read because they don't make us feel good. They do not um, bolster our ego. They don't feed our pride. They shatter it. And that is what the Jews did. As a collective whole, the Jews missed the point. It was all intellectual. It was like the Pharisee in a parable Jesus told, who goes to the temple and prays, I thank you, Lord, that you have not made me like other men. Because I am better, and sin is about them. Sin is never about me. That is what knowing about God does. Sin is never about you, it's about other people. Sin doesn't fit into your worldview, because I'm smart. That's what the Bible does for me, I'm smart. And so the Jews were cut off from the benefits promised. And Paul will get into this more in Romans 11. And he will detail the future restoration for Israel in very prophetic fashion. But for now... Just know that there is a massive difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Some have called it missing heaven by 18 inches, the distance between the head and the heart. 
I prefer the wording of Scottish writer George MacDonald, an inspiration of C.S. Lewis, and he explained it in this way. To say, thou art my God, without knowing what thou means, of what use is it? God is a name only, except we know God. I implore you today to get to know God. Don't just know about God, but know God. Because all the words in this book mean nothing if it's just intellectual. If it is all about filling my head with information. This is just a book, then. It ceases to be the word of the one true God, and it becomes just a book. But this is not just a book. This is pasture for my soul. This is Sabbath rest for all who believe in Jesus in this book. But we come into that not by passing a test, not by acing the final exam, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He did all the work that is necessary. All we do is submit to his lordship, is call upon his name, and sit under his authority as prophet, priest, and king over this world and the world that is to come. And he closes Romans 10 with, But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. While that is of Israel, it is true of us as well, that we all like sheep have gone astray. All day long he stretches out his hands to a disobedient people, to a people that go astray. The world is falling apart, it seems, but if we look at what is failing, we're seeing the, the systematic breakdown of everything that does not honor God, that does not submit to God's lordship over the world that he made. And it's easy to ask in times like these, where is God in all this? Why would a good God allow such evil? And I would make the case that God doesn't give an answer in the sense that we're looking for. He doesn't give us this intellectual um, feel-good statement that you could cross-stitch on a pillow. He doesn't give us um, a frameable um, little quote for your vision board. Instead of that, he offers up himself. Because he is a priest to broken people. It also says in Hebrews that the job of a priest was to offer up himself for the people. And Christ is our better priest. He is the final priest. He offered up himself. And he stretched out his hands to a disobedient people, every single one of us. And that is how we come into this promise. By faith in the one who laid down his life, who lived a perfect life and went to a cross. And I wanna encourage you today to get to know Jesus. Don't just know about him, but know God. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio. 
um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.